Today's episode is sponsored by Corbion. Hey everyone, thanks for tuning into this episode of the Aquademia Podcast. I'm Sean O'Laughlin and I have an episode today that I think a lot of our listeners are going to appreciate. I am sitting down with Reed Jackson, who is the Vice President of Innovation and Partnerships at GS1 US, and we are talking all about supply chain transparency, supply chain traceability, how you keep track of your product, what's the best way to know exactly what is being shipped all around the world. It's not as seafood-centric, but it is very important, and this is information that could be useful to anyone in any industry. It gets a little bit in the weeds, so you might get a little confused at times, but believe me when I say they have a lot of informational resources that are really going to help you out getting the information that you need to tighten up your supply chain and understand where your product is coming from and where it's going to. So it's a great conversation. I really think you're going to get a lot out of it. But before we get into it, I want to remind everybody to please subscribe to Aquademia wherever you listen. That way, every time a new episode drops, you'll get it directly downloaded onto your device. If you want to contact us, you can email us at podcast at globalseafood.org. Fill out the contact form, globalseafood.org slash podcast, or find us on Twitter. We are at Aquademia Pod. Remember to leave us a rating and review wherever you listen. It really helps us out, and we appreciate everybody that's done that already. All right, without any further ado, please enjoy this conversation that I had with Reed, and I will talk to you at the end. Welcome to the Aquademia Podcast. Our diet is hurting the environment in myriad ways. I mean, we desperately need to eat more seafood. This is a pioneering industry with a whole lot of people who have really good ideas and a lot of experience and are unafraid. Aquademia is your go-to podcast for a fresh take on all things seafood. So I'm sitting down today with Reed Jackson, who is Vice President of Innovation and Partnerships at GS1 US. How's it going, Reed? Thanks for joining me. It's going great, Sean. Thanks for having me. Yeah, this has kind of been a long time coming. We've been kind of planning on planning this episode for uh, for a little while, and I'm glad that we were able to pull it together. So Reed is here to talk about some of the bigger topics that come up a lot within seafood, specifically about traceability and supply chain transparency and all that kind of stuff, and how GS1 is involved in that. And uh, I'll give you a hint. They're very involved in that. <laughs> but before we do that, Reed, I want to learn a little bit about you. Let's Before we get into GS1 and what, what you all do, let's get your story first so our listeners know who is speaking to them. So kind of where you started, how you got to where you are, and how you found your way into this world. Yeah, it's very funny. Um, I actually got my degree in environmental science way back when, did that for about oh, a uh, You're one of us. Yeah, yeah. Did that for about a, a year and a half. And then uh, moved over into technology sales. And it was back before internet protocol was really very popular. So I was selling systems that were connecting to Novell Networks, Banyan Vines, Apple Talk, Token Ring. And it was, it was crazy. And I, I loved it. But these were islands of information. And then I made yeah. my way over. Can, can I interrupt you? Actually, sure. can you actually explain what you mean when you say internet protocol? Yeah, sure. So we all use it every day. We're using it right now. So internet protocol is a standard, um, TCP IP. It's a standard for communication, um, enables web activity to happen, and everything gets layered on top. Um, Cisco Systems, the CISCO, um, made it very popular with their routers and switches to start connecting companies. So instead of a company being on an Apple Talk network and a Novell network, and they couldn't talk to one another, Internet Protocol enabled all of us to talk together and send the email and then video and pictures and, and all of the stuff that today we really just take for granted. Um, but it was a standard. Proof that everybody can actually work together and do something as yeah. well. <laughs> yeah. I'll tell you, I, I've, I've been amazed, um, you know, with COVID the last few years, 
I, I often say, if we didn't have the technology we have today, the world would probably be in a deep depression. Um, yeah. you, you know, I mean, we shut down. We shut down, yeah. but it was this internet protocol that really made everything happen. And there's standards layered upon standards, layered upon standards um, in it. I mean, you and I right now, um, we're seeing each other in a video conference, but we're also recording audio and it's all happening. It's a standard for the video. It's a standard for the audio and it's a standard for our, our TCP IP stack of, of information that's going back and forth across the interwebs, as some say. So cool. All right. So sorry yeah. for that tangent. No, no, to, not, not a problem. Yeah. Um, I, I appreciate the, the, the clarity on that. So I, I really started to get involved with technology and moved on and, and moved into data centers and, and was doing a lot of uh, work in and out and around this. Took a little hiatus. Um, I did some startup companies. I did my own startup company where I did an executive search firm and we, we focused in on placing executives for technology companies. So I've always been in this technology space. And then uh, four years ago, I was in a transition spot and um, uh, an old boss of mine at Cisco actually introduced me to my current boss at GS1 US and was like, I think you two should talk. And it really caught me off guard because I looked up GS1 US. I called back uh, my, my former boss and I was like, I think he sent me the wrong website. This is a not-for-profit company. And she goes, no, 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 no. It's, it's the company you should be talking to. Really lean in. <laughs> it's the company. <laughs> Yeah, they were, they were really lean into it, you know, see, see what happens for you. And I said, okay. And I didn't know how nonprofits worked. I, I was in sales for a really long time. Long mm -hmm. story short, um, you know, I met with uh, Melanie Noose, my current boss, who's a senior vice president here at GS1 US and has been here for quite some time. And it was really about looking at the intersection of technology and the use of standards. And that was right up my alley. Uh, I'm always looking at cutting edge things. I really love technology. And she's like, the difference here is we're not selling, um, but we are trying to figure out better ways to get adoption of the use of standards to make things easier, but also allow people to use proprietary solutions and their secret sauce, if you will, for their competitive advantages. You know, it's kind of like, you know, it, it's more applicable in this conversation than any, but the rising tide lifts all boats. Um, oh yeah, you know, nice, and, good pun. And you know, when we were in COVID, the one thing I realized was, you know, people used to say, "Oh, we're all in the same storm." I'm like, "Yes, we're all in the same storm, but we're in different boats. Some of us are in luxury yachts, and some of us are in rowboats, and some of us just have a life jacket on barely." So, the point though is, there's a commonality, and so GS1 is a global organization. Uh, they're headquartered out of Brussels. GS1 US is what we call a member organization. And we're a federated group. So there's GS1 Canada, GS1 US, GS1 Mexico, GS1 Germany, France, Switzerland, Sweden, and it goes on and on. There's about 114 of us. Um, and we're, we're done this way because rules and regulations and tax codes in each country are a little bit different. But fundamentally, we all support the standard globally and help companies move in and out of supply chain logistics and Mm -hmm. traceability and visibility into what's actually happening. So my team for a long, long time was, was neck, neck deep in, in blockchain and figuring it out and running pilots and doing tests. What really is it? How can we work with it? And, and we, we started to produce some, some publications for industry to see. We're not a blockchain company. Yeah. Techni technically, we're not even a technology company. Um, we're an identification issuer. Um, it, it, if you really think of it, we do three fundamental things. We issue identification for entities, a company, right? 
And then we issue in, uh, identification for products or things. And then we issue identification for locations. And so if I know what product, what company is the manufacturer, what is the product they're manufacturing, and where is it located in the supply chain, who is picking it up, who's transferring it, where is it in distribution, where is it at retail, um, and, and so on down the line. And then I can trace it all the way back to um, the founder. And, and right. So your involvement in blockchain is not so much the blockchain process, but it's all the little pieces that build it, right? Yeah. I mean, really, our involvement with blockchain is use a standard identifier in, in the blockchain. Um, that's yeah, really it. Like Instead a UPC. Of, ex exactly. Or a global trade item number, which is mm -hmm. part of a UPC. So it's a lot of folks, um, we, we deal with a lot of uh, uh, fidgetal, physical and digital world, right? So we well, have- That's a fun word. I haven't heard that one. Yeah. So we're doing a lot of work in, in uh, e-commerce right now um, because everybody is, right? And so some folks will come to us and say, well, we only do 100% e-commerce work, so we really don't need a UPC. And I'm like, no doubt. But do you have physical product that you're selling? Yes, we do. And you keep it in a warehouse? Yes. Does the warehouse require a barcode to be on it? Yes, but they put their own on it. Do you have more than one warehouse? Yes. So you have multiple different proprietary barcode systems. Why not use a global trade well, item for the same product? For the same product, makes it easier for you to do your inventory, makes it easier for people to know when and where product truly is. Um, and even Google did a study that folks that post um, online sales with global trade item numbers see a 20% uplift in their conversions because mm. a, 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 a consumer can look up a third party, not-for-profit organization that's maintaining the identification um, of those said products. So it, it gives them a little more uh, validity of it. Oh, okay. Yeah, makes it makes it feel a little more legit. And that's so fascinating because this is... We have talked about traceability, supply chain, transparency, that kind of stuff, a bunch, not like exclusively, obviously, but we've talked about it a lot because it is such a huge topic within every industry, any industry that has supply chains, right? But yeah. specifically within the seafood industry, it's it's huge because it's so damn confusing because it's such a global industry where you're, you have some product that can only come from one spot or two or three spots in the world and it gets shipped to different countries all over the place. And so it's so confusing for suppliers to maintain their supply chains and understand all the all the different parts of it. And I think that example that you just gave with the online products, you know, the e-commerce products being housed in different warehouses with different UPC codes, that is a, a fantastic example because it shows just how easily the tracking of these products uh, throughout the supply chain can, can get out of hand so quickly and talk talk a little bit about like what you got what what's happening to try and rein some of that in because i know that you you that's a big part of what you do right yeah well um you know we talked about the the technology in the beginning with internet protocol and stuff and a lot of us take it for for granted we all have mm -hmm. a, a cell phones a lot of us don't even know that that is a thing exactly well that <laughs> you know? that's that's what i'm saying like we, we, we <laughs> I have to laugh because sometimes we used to really geek out and talk about the technology and, and I'd had a couple of bosses go, they don't care how it works. They just want it to work, <laughs> right? Yeah, that's true. And yeah. so that's how a lot of us are. And so with a technology you know, scenario, it's just gotten so much more advanced, but it's been building and building and building for many years. I mean, since you know, 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s, you know, the, the internet protocol, the internet was started out of DARPA. Um, so that armies could communicate when they shut down certain communication paths. It rerouted to a new path to maintain the connection. 
So this stuff's been worked on for years and years and years, and 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 the the standards start to get published. And IEEE, um, which is a standard body for the for the technology side, um, produces all this stuff. On the supply chain side, it's a bit different, and we run into different challenges because of you have food services, which is much different than grocery. But yeah. they're they're using similar products, and you know seafood. And in falls, some cases, it's the same producers. Exactly, and seafood falls into that, you know, all the time. But it's mm-hmm. like uh, you have family fishermen, then you have corporation fishing companies, and then you have different countries doing it. Um, and so, a lot of times, things are handed down. If it's not broke, don't fix it. And well, it's also so confusing, right? Like you don't dare touch it because it worked before. And I'm afraid that if I change something, something will get lost or messed up. So, right. Yeah. Yeah. I I mean, that's completely human to feel that way. 100%. You know, my father ran a business for a really long time and and a couple of years before he passed, he, he asked for some of my help. And so I took some time and went and saw his warehouse and I'm like, oh my gosh, you don't have one thing barcoded. He goes, why would I want it barcoded? I'm like, to check it in and check it out. I'm like, automate it, make it easy. You, you, he didn't even use computers. So, um, you know, put, Can you imagine? putting <laughs> computers in, this is, this was in this two, day and age. 2013, um, 2012. And so we started using some computers and, but it threw off his whole, you know, jive. He was in his late seventies and he had always done things through a handshake and paper and, um, it's different. And I think that that's the issue. We have these massively sophisticated corporations and then all the way down to the mom and pops and supply chains are not linear. That's a real, most people think it starts and it just goes straight across from left to right or from right to left, depending on where you are in the world. Um, but supply chains are a web and COVID has taught us more than ever that it's a web because my supplier today may change. My buyer today may change. My location of acquisition is changing. Um, I'm getting stuck in ports. I have to come to a different port. You know, like all, all different things are happening. So it's very fluid, very dynamic. Um, and that's the challenge. It's getting people to understand that there are standards available and then asking all of our partners up, down, left and right to, hey, can you use the standard? And some will say yes, no problem. And some will say no. And the some that say no, typically they're in what we call a closed loop environment, right? I mean, there's some retailers where they, make their own clothing, they have their own stores, they do their own distribution. It's a closed loop. Mm-hmm. But some of these retailers now want to get into the sustainability side of the business because their consumers and their young buyers, it's very important to them. So they need to publish that stuff. So now they need to push things out to the world. And when you push things out, you need a common language, you need a common identifier. And then yeah. they need to pull information in from their raw materials and they need to now share that. Um, and then they need folks to be able to recycle, reuse, repurpose, reissue. Um, and it's who's validating that. So they move to an open standard. Um, and that's what we're seeing. So it, it's, it's a challenge. Um, it's a challenge. One, it's education, awareness, and then it's showing them, hey, if change is not fun for anybody, but if right. you do change, you might be able to springboard yourself so much further. 
Um, I'll right. And I'll say specifically in the seafood industry, this is something that that is a challenge because we joke about it all the time. The seafood industry, no one goes out and decides that they're going to work in this industry. They right. somehow find their way in it. But then once they're in it, they don't leave. Right. So people don't retire. So there's a lot of people in this industry that are in that boat. Uh, pardon the pun. Yeah. Always intend your puns that are in that boat of, you know, they've been in this industry doing what they're doing since the 70s, sometimes the 60s. And I will say that a lot of people that I have met that are in in that scenario where they're in their 70s or 80s and they're still working in the industry, they are very progressive in, in the use of technology and the adoption of technology, which is pretty cool to see. But in some aspects of this industry on the wild caught side and the farm side, you do still see a lot of that you know, the handwritten paperwork and all this stuff. And it's just, it's hard to adapt and it changes very, very hard. And uh, there's a lot of standards for a lot of things in this industry. There are. So when it comes to this technology standard, how was this developed? How is it being used? What stage are we in, in the sense of like getting it adopted by large percentages of, of industries? Yeah, Let me, I, I'm gonna. That's kind of a big question. Yeah, yeah. I, take I, I your wanna, time. <laughs> I want to address that. I want to address that, but I, I don't. I want to. Before I forget, I want to mention one other thing you reminded me of. Um, yeah, of course. And, and it's like you know, within supply chains, we have recalls, right? Especially within oh, food. Oh my god! Right, and with uh, the yeah, food modernization, <laughs> you know, safety act, um, you know, FISMA two hundred four that's coming. You know, we're going to have to be prepared for more of this, right? And you don't want to take everything off the shelf. You only want to take what's been affected off the shelf. Right, so you need to have that visibility and transparency as to where it was, what it was, when it was, batch lot, all this type of information. Um, most people in the U.S. are familiar with um, the the Subway sandwich chain um, retailers, mm-hmm. and I met with one of their executives about four years ago when I just started, and um, she shared with me we were at um, South by Southwest on a panel mm-hmm. in in Austin, Texas, and she shared with me, you know, many years ago we just had our own supply chain inventory system. We'd take in tomatoes and lettuce and onions from like literally 30 plus different vendors. And once they were in our system, it was labeled as lettuce, tomato, onions, and that's it. So then you have a lettuce recall because of salmonella or something, and they have to take all their lettuce. And that's nationwide. Yeah, you can't identify it. It's yeah. nationwide. I mean, that, yep. that's millions upon millions of dollars of inventory they had to throw out. Whereas now they're leveraging GS1 standards and instead of it, it's batch lot, who's, who's the company, what's the product and what location did it come from? And mm-hmm. so we know, hey, it was this farm that had it or this processor that had the, you know, the, wh- whatever the, the situation is that can cause the contamination. And right. then now we can isolate that and move that on. Yeah. And so, that was, a, I remember that being a big thing a couple of years ago was the, the romaine lettuce. Oh, um, and it's still. There was huge issues. Uh, yeah, I, I haven't heard about it recently. I assume there's still issues going on, but I remember that being such a big news item when yeah. it was the, the romaine lettuce. So, and something so, that we see in, in our industry uh, that you that they keep very close watch on is shellfish uh, with biotoxins because they're, bi- you know, biotoxins, you can't, that's not something that you can cook out. Yeah. So, you know, they're testing constantly for these, these halls of, of different shellfish mussels, oysters, clams and stuff. And if anything comes up positive with a biotoxin, they got to get a recall in and they got to get it out. Right. Right. Because that's deadly. And that's a really, really big deal. So, you know, we see it right within our work that we're doing, too. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. 
Let's take a minute to get a word from this episode's sponsor, Corbion. Corbion unleashes the power of algae fermentation to preserve the planet's limited resources. Alga Prime DHA is the first algae-based omega-3s produced, focusing on sustainability and feasibility, enabling its adoption by the most significant aquaculture feed manufacturers and producers. Supplying sustainable fish and seafood has challenged aquaculture stakeholders across the supply chain. The oceans will not provide more omega-3s without suffering impacts, while the demand for omega-3s will continue to increase. By growing microalgae via fermentation, Corbion takes the middle fish out to deliver an alternative omega-3s source. Algaprime DHA provides a high-quality, abundant source of omega-3s with a lower carbon footprint than traditional sources of fish oil, as demonstrated by Corbion's recent life cycle assessment. Join Corbion as they advance feed and food with sustainable nutrition while meeting today and tomorrow's challenges through microalgae. So, so back to the standards and how did this all kind of get started? Well, it was roughly 50 years ago in Ohio, a bunch of um, retailers around the grocery um, business got together and they're like, we have to reduce our checkout lines um, and we have to increase the accuracy at our checkout lines. Because if you think about it, 50 years ago, they were literally punching in, okay, they hold up the can of corn. Okay. It says, you know, you know, 39 cents, they punch it in, they grab the next thing, they punch it in, they're doing all of that. Well, there also was issues with accuracy. I mean, I, I pull up a can of whatever, you know, but I'm, I'm holding it in my hand and it says dot 59. So I type in 0.59 cents. Well, actually it was a dollar 59. That grocer just lost a dollar on that, right? Mm-hmm. And grocery, the margins are in the cents, right? right. And, and then your like, inventory is a guessing game. Exactly. Exactly. So it started with the checkout lines and, and they're like, we need to do something to increase this. So a whole bunch of players came together and um, GS1 um, was, was formed to help with this process. So we came up with the UPC barcode, Universal Product Code um, is yeah. what it stands for. And that's a 1D straight black lines that are on the back of most products. I'm looking at yeah, some I'm sure Clor- most Clorox people, wipes. Almost everyone is probably familiar with it, I'm yeah, sure. you've seen it. And there's a bunch of numbers below them. And so those numbers actually have um, um, a sequence to them. Um, there's And it's not as easy as you think because you need scale, right? There's billions of products out there, so you need scale. So there's a prefix which identifies the company, and then the numbers after identify the product. So it's, you can look up the prefix. Okay. This is Procter and Gamble. Okay. This is, you know, Acme Corporation. And then you can look it up and, and see what the actual product is and who it's coming from. So that was the creation of the UPC. Um, and then the numbers are what we call global trade item numbers. And we issue them by a single. You can just get a single G10. If you have a product and you want to put it out in the market, you can buy them in batches of 10. Uh, hundreds, thousands, hundreds of thousands, and, and so on. And we keep a registry. And the key here is, is once, um, once in a, a, a prefix is assigned and a global trade item number is assigned, it stays there. That's it. It doesn't change. Yeah. So it's like this box of Clorox is this box of Clorox. You can't then take that global trade item number and then put it on something else and call it something else. Because when you come back to GS1, the third party, and look it up. It's going to say Clorox. This is what it is. Um, yeah. You know. And that's regardless of any type of packaging changes or anything like that. Like if it's that that product, it will never change. Right. So then we've gotcha. we've moved on, you know, throughout the years. Um, and a lot of people know us as the barcode company, but we don't own barcodes, you know, but we do use them. It's it's an it's a 
it's a positive and a negative to have positive that it has good recognition and people recognize a UPC. But we also work with RFID and we've been involved with a lot of RFID standards for radio frequency identification. Mm-hmm. Um, most people use this with their easy pass, right? Um, a lot of times you'll see them embedded into uh, clothing tags. A lot of times you don't even know they're there. A lot of times they're in the backside of the, the barcode label that you're seeing. So you have the barcode on the outside and the RFID tag on the inside. Why do they use yeah, it? That's something that I've never really understood how that works. I, I know like I've I've purchased the wallets that are RFID blocking right, and all that right, stuff, right. right? Like but and so I get the general sense that it's it's some type of uh you know something happening in the ether that could affect me, but I don't I've never really understood how that how that works. So w- without getting too too granular because RFID is radio frequency identification. There's a lots of form there's a lot of forms of it. There's mm-hmm. active tags, there's passive tags. Active tags have a battery. Passive tags don't. They actually get energized and they emit or um a response back, radio wave, um, okay. if you will. There's chipless RFID tags, but we don't need to get all down into that. But the reason people use RFID, think about it. You know, in the United States, you used to drive through a toll and and pay the toll man, uh, toll person. You know, whatever the toll was for the day, mm-hmm. and that caused a lot of traffic. Nowadays, oh, yeah. you just drive straight through, right? Because those RFID tags are reading every car, and if you don't have a tag, they're reading your license plate. But they can do it at speeds of eighty miles an hour. Um, and even higher. So they do the same thing at large distribution, like Walmart requires some RFID tags to be on certain types of pallets. So the pallet gets off the truck, goes through an RFID reader, boom, inventory is instantly updated and they know everything. You and know, surpassing there. the whole step of even if they had barcodes, someone going through and scanning each barcode and everything, they don't have to right. do that anymore. Exactly. And if you go into you know your your warehouse or your retail store and you have to do an inventory count, you used to have to do it, okay, one, two, three. And now you just Take the RFID reader, walk down the aisle, boom, you, you just, you know, read them all. Now, there's certain limitations. This is why you need to have both. Um, you know, uh, sometimes there's just things that happen. Radio frequencies don't do well with metal. They don't do well with water. Okay. But you could still have them on metal and water packages. It depends on, you know, scenarios. But certain times you're, you're going to need a backup system as well. Um, we don't have RFID readers at checkout yet. So, that's why we have both. Oh yeah, that are it is, on it's there. all bar, barcode scans. That's, That's right. right. So it's all barcode scanning. And so now what we're moving into at checkout is what we call two uh, D. You know, the most popular two D barcode is the QR code. COVID helped everybody out with menus. I love QR and, codes and other things. Yeah, and you use QR <laughs> codes in IT for a long time to program IoT devices. Um, so we can we can put the global trade item number into a QR code. You can put so much more information and data into a QR code or a 2D barcode, a digi, Digix or a Digimark and, and others. Um, there are multiple types of um, 2D barcodes, but it, it just holds more data. And then now it's truly web enabled with our smartphones. You hold your camera over it and boom, you can hit it and you can get a menu of, of things. What is the global trade item number? What is, uh, are there any recalls? Um, what is the care and feeding for this? How do I properly dispose? Is this recyclable? You know, yeah. we oh, still so have cool. a- we, You can use it for everything. I, we have a barcode on our business card for the podcast mm-hmm. that is connected to a smart link. So you scan the barcode on there and it will, which depending on if it's on a Android phone or an iPhone, whatever your device is, it will open yep. up the most convenient app for you to play the podcast on, on your device. It is yep. like, 
That's so it's, cool. So, <laughs> so, so cool. what we refer to these are as um, data carriers. A 1D barcode is a data carrier. 2D barcode is a data carrier. RFID is a data carrier. I have mm-hmm. a business card that has a, a QR code on the back and an NFC chip, near frequency communication. And if I tap your phone, it pulls up the app and, you know, uh, it, it, it kind of freaks people out sometimes. So like, that's so cool. But just like adds once, your contact into the- it just, Yeah, it's the same way. The same exact experience as the QR code, except they don't have to pull out their camera. I just hold it up. You know where you, you deal with this is the new tap and go with your credit cards. Mm-hmm. It's near frequency communication. So it's the same thing, but these are just different types of data carriers. Um, blockchain is a data carrier. Right. Um, it, it's it's a digital, you know, I- environment. So we just put a global trade item number in. It. And what we see a lot of times, I deal with a lot of startups. We deal with a lot of enterprises and everything in between. And what you see with startups is they have this great tech. They're thinking outside the box. They're disrupting the world and they're doing what they're supposed to. But a lot of times they stay with inside their tunnel vision and they create proprietary systems and then they bring it out to the world and then they have trouble scaling it because mm-hmm. they're using proprietary systems. Whereas if they use an open system, you know, boom, there you go. You're off and running, um, you know, and I often remind them a lot of times with these startups, these techie folks, I'm like, let me guess, when you started your company, the first thing you did before you did anything else was secured a domain name. And they're like, yeah, we did actually. That's right. Before we even incorporated, we secured a domain name to make sure that we could have it. That's and what I'm all like, the websites tell you to do. Yeah. And you're, you're, you just secured an open standard. That was the first thing you did. You secured an open standard on the internet um, and registered it to yourselves. Um, and so that's what we're talking about within supply chain is put a standard of identification. We have this saying, if identification of everything makes anything possible. So really think about like as you're interacting, whether it's a physical world or a digital world, if you could look at it and get provenance on it, you know, who made it? Where did it come from? Where is it now? Where was it the last, you know, five or six months? Um, you know, you, you have so much more information. And that's just a standard that you can use, whether you're using barcodes, RFID, blockchain, computer vision. Um, a couple of years back, I was in San Francisco at this uh, artificial intelligence conference, and computer vision was the rage, still is. I love it. And we got into this little debate, and I actually felt um, quite vindicated. I'm all for <laughs> computer vision, all for computer vision. I love it. It's amazing technology. But just like any technology, we have our, our places and, and strengths and weaknesses. And that's mm-hmm. why you'll see a barcode with an RFID tag embedded in it because you need both for different use cases. Well, this person we were debating with was like, RFID, or, uh, computer vision will absolutely eliminate barcodes globally, hands down, full sentence stop. And I'm like, okay, I'm glad you feel that strongly about it. We need passionate people like you in the world. However, how does computer vision deal with batch and lot information? They're like, well, they read it. So you need to stamp it on there. Yes. And so we can encode it into a barcode. Yes. Okay. (laughs) Fine. Yeah. 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 So it was like, I was like, wow, I actually, you know, won a debate. I think it was like the first one in my life. But, um, it's it was, it was, it was, it was, it did, it did feel good, but it was just interesting. And it was like, people get passionate. I've been there myself until you see, but you need scale and you need, here's the most important part. Most important part is interoperability. That's it. 
if someone wants to use barcode, someone wants to use RFID, someone wants to use computer vision, we need interoperability up and down the stack. We need the corporations to be able to invest in you know, competitive advantages and still have interoperability down to you know, the family farmer and seafood you know, fishermen um, that, that's out there doing their thing and be able to play. Otherwise, you're creating islands um, mm-hmm. that are isolated. Yeah. Do you think the biggest challenge is like that reluctance to change, to adapt? Yeah. Well, yeah. Change is not easy. Um, you, you're going to go through growing pains. You know, um, you just have that awkward time. Um, it's, it's hard right now, you know, and we're dealing with a a looming recession. So, you know, what do I do? Do I have the resources? Do I, you know, is how much cost is involved? How much training is involved? And sometimes it's the cost is nominal and sometimes the cost can be significant. It all depends on, on where you're at and what you're doing. Um, but I've also seen this with, um, some D to C, you know, direct to consumer type Mm -hmm. of startups. They go at it, proprietary uh, barcoding system that they have and everything's working for them. And they're working for like four years and they are kicking butt. They're making money hand over fist. They're having a great time. And then all of a sudden Target or Walgreens or CVS or somebody is like, we want you in our store. We want. But you got to play by our rules, right? And at that point, those folks are super ecstatic. They're like, yeah, we, you know, like we were D2C, but being in your stores, it gives us this whole other, you know, you know, uh, revenue stream and, and folks. And they're like, great, here's our requirements to be in our store. You need mm-hmm. a UPC. And they're like, okay, we have barcodes. And then they send it over. And then, you know, one of the retailers is like, that's a proprietary barcode. We need a UPC. Mm-hmm. And they're like, oh, and then they have to go back and rebrand, not rebrand, but relabel all their stuff. Yeah. And that takes, let's, that's, let's just say it's, you know, one product. They come to us for cost of $30, but that one product is in four warehouses and they have 3000 or 30,000 or whatever it is of it. They have to go relabel all that. Mm -hmm. That takes a lot of time. And sometimes they'll actually miss the window. We've actually seen this. They can't get their stuff relabeled and in compliance with the retailer's requirements fast enough. So then they have to wait two months. And then at that point, maybe it's a different season. You know, it's no longer the holidays. It's no longer, you know, the, the food is, is bad, yeah. you know, like whatever, whatever it may be, but they miss the window. So we've, we've seen that happen as well. And so it's, it's a big learning curve. And it's like, you, you don't know what you don't know until right. you get into it. And this is where we're always trying, you know, what are best practices? You know, I see a lot of D to C's and I'm like, why do you have a UPC when the others don't? Oh, I worked in retail for 20 years or I worked in retail for five. <laughs> they get it. Yeah. They, they get it. They were exposed to it. Right. And so this is the thing, you know, you have a, a small fishery and they're doing business, doing business, doing business. And all of a sudden, because of geopolitical or climate or COVID or something else, their buyer went away and they have mm. to find another one. Mm-hmm. And is the other one going to do work the same way? So change has already happened for them. Right. Um, or you're looking at some of these smaller farmers, right? Like the the family owned tilapia farm in China who's selling to one small local producer that's right. or distributor, but then they maybe they get BAP certification or ASC certification or something and they improve their overall standards. They're They're pumping out more product. They're ready to kind of get into a bigger league and they find a distributor who distributes to, I don't know, Walmart or other grocery chains. 
and they say, okay, I, I, I'm ready to start selling to this bigger distributor, then they're going to need to make that change. Does that, it, so actually making this happen, right? Like getting the UPC, you know, organizing all, all of these supply chains, would that come from the top down? Would it have to come from the bottom up? How, how does that work? Within Who is a company? the person that actually goes and says, we need to get a UPC for all of this product that, that we're going to be distributing or that's coming in or that we're going to be selling, whoever it is. What is the best way for anyone who's in that kind of weird gray area of like, I want to grow, but I don't know what I'm supposed to do. Like, how, how can we make it happen? Who does that? Yeah. So, I mean, it really depends on the organizations. Um, right, sometimes okay. it's compliance. Sometimes it's best practices. Sometimes it's top down. Sometimes it's bottom up. Sometimes it's both. I mean, if you go to gs1.org, you're going to the global office. Um, so it's gs1.org and they have a lot of information there. So if you're listening in from multiple countries, you can get pointed to your your specific member organization within your region. You can go to gs1us.org and there's lots of examples. How do I get started? What are some best practices? Those types of things. Yeah, it's and a then, very informative. What I'm there right now. I'm look. I'm taking a look at it. I mean, there's literally a button that says get a barcode. Yeah. Right at the top. Like it, it, you guys do, you do make it very simple. Uh, well, I'm glad to hear you say that because we just invested a lot into redoing our website. We were oh, yeah. heavy education focused and we're like, we, we needed to kind of lean into this a little bit easier um, for small, medium businesses. Mm -hmm. Because the larger enterprises, you know, you know, your, your Procter & Gamble's and your Macy's and your Walmart's and these are large global organizations. They have teams that work on this all the time. Right. Right. And, and they're business minded people who understand the technology. And it's handed and down. It's handed down in, you know, the, the work that they're doing. And there's a lot of complexity. And, you know, we talked about FISMA 204 coming out. And so they're in work groups. And so we we proctor work groups where industry folks come together and talk about, well, hey, things are changing. How are we going to deal with 2D barcodes? Well, what should we do? Should should we all be you know, able to take 2D barcodes at checkout? Um, you know, is there other information that has to be incorporated? Like on the healthcare and pharmaceutical side, they've been using 2D barcodes for a long time because the FDA required more information and batch lot information and serialized information within And the there. 2D barcodes, so, that's like the QR codes kind of thing. Correct. Right? Okay. Correct. Just, just trying to stay so, on. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Yeah. No, I appreciate that. Um, and so that group gets together. So we're, we're of... GS1 is a not-for-profit, net-neutral organization that supports industry. But these industry verticals come together, grocery, retail, um, apparel, general merchandise, food service, pharma, healthcare. And they all get together and they use our standards um, to the best of their abilities and also push back and say, hey, we need some advancements, right? The same way with IT, you know? Uh, you have IPv4. We're in IPv6. That's I, Internet Protocol version 6. The reason they did that, they ran out of addresses. You wanted a <laughs> domain name? They ran out of addresses. You know that www.gotothecoolestplaceontheinternet.com? They ran out of addresses. You know, the whole 192.168. blah, blah, blah. They ran out of that. So they had to come up with a new version. So that's we insane. Do similar oh things God. with our standards is. What attributes have to be there? What don't have to be there? They're different for different industries. And then there's other things that come along. We haven't talked about it a lot, but like a GLN is a global location number. And when you get a UPC, you actually get assigned one GLN. You can then get other GLNs. So a global location number, uh, hospitals and healthcare use it a lot because they need to know where, where's a wheelchair? Where are the drugs? Where are the sutures? Um, where's the ambulance? 
So ambulances actually have a GLN, but we know that they're mobile, but we know product is in that physical container. So this is very much, I'm going to go off a deep end here, pun intended, Mm -hmm. on the um, decentralized identity and verifiable credentials. It's containers. Um, Have you guys heard about those, DIDs and VCs? Um, Not me personally. So DIDs and VCs, it's decentralized identities and verifiable credentials. It's a a mouthful and Mm -hmm. it's a lot being used in blockchain um, and uh, and a lot of other use cases that are out there. But in essence, it's a container. So all the information goes into the container and they're verifiable. So when you see these shipping container ships, that was pretty repetitive there. But when you see shipping containers on ships, those shipping containers um, have a, a serialized shipping container code, which is a GS1 standard. So that has your PO, everything that's in it. And then when you start to use EPCIS, which is your electronic product code information services, it's another GS1 standard of how we can share this stuff electronically. So we're the point is, is that there's a lot more to these standards. Just like when we started our whole conversation, internet protocol, you have H323, which is a video standard protocol. You have a voice echoing protocol. You have these standards and protocols that work and layer in with one another. So universal product code was created for checkout, but then we realized we need to go back office. So serialized shipping container codes and global location numbers um, and lots of other asset tracking uh, type of solutions that are out there and enables for interoperability. And you can voluntarily you know, lean in and play or not, but a standard only gets more powerful the more people that use it. Mm-hmm. Um, I often think of electricity. Imagine in the United States that if each state, which a lot of us have our own power grids, but if those power grids were different, like they are in Europe or Asia, um, you'd, you'd have to have a universal device for every place you went. Um, whereas in the United States, we plug in the same way everywhere we go. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. So, so we're getting a little close to time, but I want to I wanna see. So this is going to be, I think I know the answer and it's going to be like, it depends, right? But for any of our listeners who are in, in the seafood industry and they want to clarify their supply chain, get a better grip on the product that they're moving, shipping, producing, whatever, where is a good place for them to start? What should they, what steps should they take first? Would you recommend? And I know it depends on where they are in that process. If they have UPCs, if they have different, but, but, but what, you know, if, if they just say, okay, I don't feel like I have quite a good grasp on my supply chain. And I want to increase my traceability. Where can they start? Yeah. So my, my brain is going into so many different a- areas right now. <laughs> um, it, it, you know, I, I think a good place to start is really just going to our website and finding out the, the, the foundational pieces of what these standards are, what they're used for, and what their benefits are. We also have a call center. You can call into our question. call center. Um, you can, and the phone number is listed on the website. You can, you can call into the call center and talk to some folks about that. And then we do have a partner community um, of certified educated partners that work with us. You can find them on our website as well. And then we also have some consulting services as, um, too, where people actually bring us in to really escalate. Like maybe they went through a merger and an acquisition and they need to bring two groups together and there's a lot of work there and they mm-hmm. want to make sure there's not duplication and, and how can they pull this in. They can work with our partner community for that. They can work with us for that. There's other consultants out there that, that build their 
businesses off of GS1 standards and the use thereof. So there's there's a lot of different angles. Um, my favorite, go to YouTube. Um, we have a lot of YouTube videos out there. Others have YouTube videos out there. Um, you, you'd be amazed. I mean, on the digital e-commerce side, it's just not stopping I me. Mean, you can just listen to Spotify all day long on yeah. on all these podcasts and, and videos and stuff. And that's actually a great segue because you guys have a podcast now, don't you? Mm-hmm. So we do. Tell thank us, you for, about your for mentioning that. Hey, thank you for that. Um, yeah, so we have a next level supply chain with GS1 US, and we talk about anything supply chain related. Um, we talk about you know startup and disruptive technologies to um, you know traditional uh, methods and best practices and problems and issues, and we cover all the different scenarios. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think it would be great to have some of your listeners and members. Uh, on our podcast to to talk about the challenges you're running into it would be it would be a nice kind of invert of it of the interview yeah. process but yeah we we um we've had a, we had a startup company uh, we also run a startup lab uh, pitch competition every year in June and we had one out of Philadelphia that actually creates these um sensors that detect odor um and can tell you when um fruits are ripening because oh. bananas specifically once one banana starts to ripen it off gases an odor to that we don't smell, but the other bananas detect and say, oh, it's ripening season. I'll ripen. <laughs> so if you have bananas that are starting to like get black spots on it uh, in, or brown spots in your, in your kitchen or wherever you keep them and you bring brand new bananas and put them right next to them or even in the same room, they'll start turning very quickly. Wow. Yeah, so they have this sensor. Today. <laughs> yeah, they put this sensor, and we do like you know we have a lot of cold chain, and there's there's so many, so many, so many levels and layers within supply right. chain, um, and we talk about them all. Very cool. Well, we'll make sure that we link to that in the show notes as well. And uh, what's the best way for people to contact you if they want to get you know pick your brain or, or have questions about what you talked about today or anything like that? Yeah, so you can email me. I'm at rjackson at gs1us.org. Um, you can look me up on LinkedIn. Um, there's a couple of Reed Jacksons out there, but I'm the one with GS1 US. I'm the only one here. Um, uh, but yeah, thank you for that, Sean. I appreciate it. It was a pleasure speaking with you today. I really appreciate the opportunity to just share some different perspectives. Yeah, no, this is something that, that, like I said, this is a big topic that comes up a lot and people are always hungry for this information. It got a little bit in the weeds, but I think I think our listeners should be able to follow it no problem. And there's a lot of resources on your website and and throughout that'll help them you know get the information they need to tighten up their their supply chains and their traceability. So I really appreciate you reaching out to us. I'm glad we were finally finally able to get this recorded. And uh, thank you so much. We'll talk to you soon. Thank you. Folks, that was my conversation with Reed Jackson from GS1 US. I really hope you enjoyed it. I hope you got something out of it. I hope that you will take him up on diving into this information and seeing what you can do to really tighten up that supply chain. Before I let you go, I want to remind everyone, like I always do, make sure that you're subscribed to Aquademia wherever you listen. That way, every time a new episode comes out, it'll automatically be downloaded right to your device. If you want to contact us, you can email us podcast at globalseafood.org. Find us on Twitter. We are at Aquademia Pod, or you can fill out the contact form on our website 
website, which is globalseafood.org slash podcast. Remember to leave us a rating and review wherever you listen. It really helps us out and we appreciate everybody that's done that. And lastly, if you enjoy what we do, you like our mission and you want to be a part of it, please consider becoming a member of the Global Seafood Alliance. All the information about membership can be found at globalseafood.org slash membership. And one last thank you to Corbion for sponsoring today's episode. Thank you so much for listening and we'll talk to you next time.